Welcome to the podcast of Inspiring Women in Hospitality. I'm Noreen Ahmed, your host. Each episode, I invite a woman from the hospitality industry to share her story with us, why she got into hospitality, her journey so far, her learnings, and who inspires her. On this episode, we hear from Melissa, recorded in December 2022. She shares the learnings from her entrepreneurial journey identifying gaps, and finding the right partner to work with. All right, we're now recording. Hello, everyone. Noreen here. Today, I have with Melissa, with me, Melissa. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Noreen. How are you? Good. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. So I'm Melissa. I'm Singaporean by nationality. Um, and But I do have a mix of different origins in Southeast Asia. Specifically, my mom is uh, half Filipino and I have a bit of Burmese blood. So a very good Southeast Asian mix. Um, I'm no longer in hospitality, but still very much love it. Uh, but I did graduate from EHL. Um, and in my free time, though, I do like to support the hospitality industry by just being a consumer in the space. Um, so in general, I'm a big foodie um, and I love hotels. So still very much passionate into hospitality experiences. And what got you into hospitality in the first place? Um, okay, so this is actually dialing back a really long time ago. Um I really enjoyed planning events since I was 15. Um, and initially when, when you were thinking about like do what you wanted to study or focus on for uni, I actually considered studying medicine and it was actually kind of like a childhood dream. But then I kind of shifted gears after realizing my passion for planning events. And then I decided I wanted to pursue a degree in hospitality and business. Mm. Um and from then onwards, I actually told myself that I actually wanted a career around events and hospitality. And that's what actually led me to EHL. So of course, in like my tenure in EHL, I've like had quite good experiences, especially in my internship, um, working in different aspects of hospitality. Um, the first is like being a management intern at Raffles Hotel, which was a lot more operation and property. And my second was actually doing feasibility and development for the Escort Group, which is more on the corporate side. Um, so in general, that's really my grand tenor at hospitality. And then since then, my kind of career trajectory has changed quite a bit, uh, which I'm happy to share with you later on. Yeah, no, I think for me as well, going into hospitality was similar like yourself, you know, with different origins. My mom's half Swiss, half Bangladeshi. My father's in Bangladesh, but I was born in Bangkok. So the first 20 years of my life was in Asia. So growing up, I always knew that I wanted to be in a multicultural environment. And I think Asia just does hospitality so well. I was always inspired by every experience that I had here. Uh, but having that Swiss connection got me to EHL. So what made you choose um, EHL? Honestly, it was more like a referral system where okay. <laughs> I, it's a referral system in a way like, okay, I I need to study. I want to study hospitality. There are many options out there. What is the best like process of elimination? Um, EHL did not really do a lot of branding and publicity at that time. So it was quite referral driven, which was kind of interesting for me. 
However, I did know that a lot of hoteliers that were working in Asia or wherever um, came from EHL. So mm. I think that was kind of interesting to me about the school and the brand. Um, and then in speaking to some people from the school and just like connecting from friends of friends, I thought it was pretty interesting. And then I decided to just venture and to jump into um, to apply and to actually travel all the way to Switzerland to check that out. Um, and so it was also just kind of like taking a risk and seeing how um, EHR operated. I really like the aspects of um, uh, business foundations with a strong hospitality application. And I think that has kind of also benefited me into um, into being able to wear multiple hats um, in my career journey. Um, so I, I have all the credits to EHR for that. Yeah, I remember when I first came to EHL, and I think we may have talked about this the last time we met, was that culture shock you get coming from Asia to, to Europe. Everything from the way that you eat food, but to also to the way that you interact <laughs> with people as well. Um, was this the first time you had lived outside of Singapore? Yes, actually. I'm, I think um, I travel a lot growing up, but lived in Singapore for most of my life. Of course, very used to Singapore efficiency, I don't really want to oversell that, but it's true. Um, and glad to hear that, like, kind of Singapore is the Switzerland of Asia. But when I got to Switzerland, I was like, yeah, Singapore takes a notch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I should share this publicly on a podcast, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, I always say if you're coming to Asia for the first time, Singapore is, like, the best place to go because it's kind of like your easy entry into Asia and it's like kind of has a bit of a blend between sort of the east and the west but you know you get a little bit of both but a really Asian influence as well you, you do get that exposure and then from there you can start venturing out further as well exactly you have all the experience in Asia so you know better than me too <laughs> well right now I'm in Bangladesh and every time if anyone ever comes to visit here I always tell them you know, it's like going to a concert and, you know, the number of people that you have there, especially say when you're leaving the concert, right? You just see people. The minute you step out of the airport here, it's just full of people and they're there for no reason whatsoever, but it's always full of people. It doesn't matter whether it's 1 p.m. or 1 a.m. It's just, we just have a very huge population. Like there's no peak hour. No. <laughs> None whatsoever. Um, okay, so after graduating, um, you came back to Singapore? Yes, I did actually. Okay. And uh, somehow or rather, although I've tried to leave, I've never left. <laughs> and what did so, you do when you came back? Um, so, I mean, I think I started my, after doing my two um, stints in hospitality, I decided that I wanted to actually venture into a career of luxury management. So I actually joined a company called Quintessentially uh -huh. when I first graduated. And uh, I'm sure you've heard of it, but in general, like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a high-end luxury concierge service. We manage like high net worth clients. So I helped that a little bit, but I also helped to secure some partnerships um, with luxury partners they're actually targeting the same customers mm. so when I was growing my partnership network um, that really helped me to 
to kickstart um, my business, which I launched right after. So in my days at Quintessentially, I actually met um, Jacqueline, who is my co-founder of my startup, where we both were actually involved in high-end events management. And I think very soon from the relationship that we had and the gaps that we saw in the market, we decided to actually build an aggregated event um, supply network uh, and decided to start building. And that's actually how my startup delegate was born. Um, so just to share a little bit about that, we spent uh, eight years building Delegate where we actually focused on events technology and the marketplace that we actually built focused on connecting brides that were looking to plan uh, their wedding to actually wedding suppliers in Singapore and Malaysia. We also provided suppliers that were venue spaces, caterers, photographers to uh, access to actually a backend software as a service. So they could actually utilize our technology to access their leads, uh, to manage their inquiries and bookings. And also during COVID, we also launched a virtual event solution, uh, which is not Zoom, just to put it as a disclaimer. But basically, it's a virtual venue space where people can actually host exhibitions and we hosted the first event in September 2020 where we did like a virtual wedding festival. And that actually got around like 16,000 attendees and 120 vendors in one weekend. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that's about my startup. But moving forward into my career journey, um, actually getting started on Delegate also got me a lot more involved uh, in tech as an industry as opposed to hospitality. So at um, the tail end of uh, 2021, that's where I saw an opportunity for me to transition. And I'm sure you have questions. <laughs> I do. I have a few because there was like a lot going on there. But Sorry, career journey is packed. So first of all, let me ask you um, about, uh, let's go back to quintessentially and talk a little bit about your experience there and securing the partnerships and just, you know, growing your network. What was that um, experience like for you? Um, I think it was really interesting because uh, uh, I've always been on the consumer side of hospitality and I never knew how to do like brand partnerships or like really understanding how to position collaborations with like-minded brands. So I got the opportunity to do that a lot at Quintessentially and to also understand um, as a hospitality vendor, whether or not you're a venue space or, you know, you're a travel agent, like what are the things you needed or how you were trying to get customers in true partnerships. So that gave me a bit of insight. Um, of course, like I was very young in my job. And Singapore is a great place to start because um, the network is very small. So I didn't really need to start from a really like dark and dark place where like basically everything is too fragmented. Everyone knows everyone in a country like Singapore. And I think that uh, made it a lot easier for me to get people to introduce me to some others. Um, so I really enjoyed myself. Um, and I think a lot of those networks that I actually built carried forward in building my marketplace. Um, and I even remember when I first launched uh, Delegate as a business in the first month, we already had 100 vendors that signed on. And that's just a testament of the type of relationships that I had built for the two or three years that I was at Quintessentially. 
Yeah, relationship building is such an important part of, I think, life. But I think the great thing about hospitality is that those of us who go into hospitality, it's just such an innate part of our character that you kind of have to have it if you're going to work in hospitality as well. And for me, it served me so well over the years, right? Relationship building is something that has always come naturally to me and also something that you know, I just grew up with, you know, from a young age, when you have big families, you kind of just have to get on with it and get to know. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But then also, because I've now had what over 100 women on on the podcast so far, and it's been amazing, you know, it's thanks to either networks or connections or just asking or referrals. And, you know, I get to hear all these amazing stories. So that's, that's fantastic for me. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think hospitality is always a people business, um, but it's not just uh, secluded to hospitality. Actually, uh, the world works in multiple ways in, in the in the people's business, right? Mm. So, Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the other thing we need to remember is that there's so many skills that you take in hospitality that are transferable and that you can take into other industries as well, um, which is sometimes a skill perhaps it's, not valued high enough or undervalued is probably the better word to use and you can see how it then it can translate into other other industries too um so then you know obviously everything was going well for you and quintessentially what made you decide to leave that and you know start your own business um I guess I guess it was a bit of like the opportunity knocked on my door a little bit um and my co-founder, Jacqueline, um, really wanted to start her own business. And I think both of us identified this as a gap that we wanted to solve. Um, and because um, having someone drag you along in that journey and be like, let's start a business together, I think that was really um, a great one foot out the door um, from being in a more stable job. I was also in the position of being quite young. I started my business when I was 25. Um, and I guess the short answer is that I didn't really think too much into the repercussions because I knew that um, I was still young and I could venture out to do um, to, to, to in the entrepreneurship journey, right? But I, I think that's not really packed too much to age. But the truth is that, you know, you can start a business at any age, but actually if you get older, the opportunity costs or the responsibilities that you need to cover for might be uh, a lot more. So I guess... That was why at 25, I I didn't really have to take care of anyone but myself, <laughs> selfishly. And also, um, and also, yeah, the opportunity just came knocking. No, you're absolutely right. I think when you're younger, you have, is it fearless? Can you say you're a bit more fearless and you're kind of just willing to give it a try and try different things? You're absolutely right. As you get older, your mindset definitely starts changing. For example, I should have learned to drive when I was in my early 20s. Tell me to do it now. It's never going to (laughs) happen. I'll support you when you actually do that. I I, I do have a friend that hasn't learned how to drive yet. And I do tell her that um, she needs to take one for the team sometimes. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll get you on that soon soon um and so two follow-up questions on on your business one um you know how did you know that Jacqueline was going to be the right partner for you uh to Mm -hmm. to work on this business and two 
you know, how did you identify this gap um, that you saw in, in this market? Right. Um, so in terms of a co-founder relationship, I do think that um, building a relationship on trust is very, very important. But of course, in the get-go, you meet people and they are sometimes your friends and you question um, like whether or not you can actually do a business with them. Uh, when I met Jacqueline, I think both of us felt that we had skill sets to complement each other. Um, and I think that was very, very important. Um, I guess I'm not sure whether this is similar to finding a relationship, but sometimes having different skill sets actually help to, to nurture the journey um, and, of course, to build a business. Um, however, in the journey, of course, you know, you grow together. It's important that, you know, in like in any relationship, you grow together for the benefit of the business and it's always a work in progress. So kind of um, letting go of any ego, um, thinking for the benefit of the business, um, thinking about progression and what makes most sense in a mature way. Uh, that's usually how we we um, we approach any kind of challenges together. Um, and I think somehow rather it worked. <laughs> and and I think we're we're very thankful for that relationship. Uh, yeah, so that's the first question. The second question in terms of identifying the gap, um, I think when I first started, it was 2015, and um, there were marketplace businesses like Airbnb, but not to the extent of marketplaces that as we know today. And I think that gave us a good kind of white space to tackle when it came to events, like how we would tackle it, and also at this part of the world. Of course, there are commercial, like, viability and, and studies that we can actually do to just figure out whether or not there's a big enough market size, which is really the big question. But honestly, it's also from hearing like customer testimonials of them saying that, hey, um, they feel like there's a need for it and to get validation that what we're building is actually something that they want. Uh, so that kind of gave us a good green light to proceed um, with building it forward. Yeah. Yeah, I had a friend um, who chose also weddings and brides as a gap and, a, and an opportunity. She was getting married herself and then she was trying to find more boutique dressmakers rather than some of the, the larger ones. And she eventually found someone in Paris where she got her wedding dress uh, made from. But then again, she also identified this gap in, in the market where she wanted to connect brides with these boutique um, dressmakers, I guess, is the best way to describe it and create a marketplace where they can connect and, you know, showcase their what they can offer, and then connect them to the brides. And I think, you know, brides, weddings, you know, it's a market that will always thrive, right, even though it's one time only, but people are constantly getting married, even throughout COVID, right? It's so Exactly. The only thing, though, is that there's no repeat rate unless you really no. want it. <laughs> <laughs> Although there are some some people who do get married multiple times. Yeah, which I completely support. However, um, not very good to say as my key metric if I'm pitching to an investor. No. Um, so tell us a little bit about the journey into the tech side as well then, because, you know, we don't exactly learn technology in, in EHL. <laughs> yeah, so until today, I'm not a trained engineer, but I kind of understand what's required to build a tech business. 
um, in kind of like one year in in building our business, um, we actually got a third party vendor to help us to build a very lean version of our product. Um, and uh, and for with that lean version of our product to get market validation and also to seek funding to actually scale the business. And in that journey, uh, we actually met a CTO um, that was able to kind of help us to craft our product and tech vision for the business. And that that's what got me learning um, what tech businesses is about and how tech engin- like engineering teams are set up. Um, so with his help as our CTO, we actually set up our own engineering team. And I learned how engineering teams uh, visualize uh, product building uh, in terms of how they visualize different sprints, uh, feature releases, how they go about building the tech infrastructure. Um, until today, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in it, but I know enough uh, for me to understand how digital businesses are run. Um, and I think it's still a work in progress. There's a lot of new technologies out there and it's a constant work in progress to understand these new technologies, to learn more about them and how they are applicable in terms of our daily lives. Um, but something that's definitely in my uh, must-reads most of the time uh, to really understand uh, what's out there and what's trending and what's the next big thing in tech. Um, and I just love it in terms of how fast um, the industry progresses. And also, I love to see... Um, a, a new digital product being launched and seeing how consumers and businesses react to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, you know, we can't all be tech people, right? So, I, and I don't think I would ever want to be an engineer myself, but I think oftentimes what we also need are the people who come up with the idea, right? And the vision. And yes, it's important to then speak to those in tech and understand how their teams work and how, you know, some of the fundamentals are approached to then be able to speak the same lingo. But I think in many cases, our roles are those of providing that vision and what we're looking for, right? And how that all works together, that's where the brilliance of the engineers come in and, and they put it together. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to ask perhaps a blunt question, the CTO, was it male or female? male yeah <laughs> do you see any changes happening yet in that space oh i have worked with female engineers so i think in my experience um the gender uh ratio is probably evening out um but i don't have enough experience to say whether or not that's across the board uh all over the world yeah. uh to be fair of course um I I do think it's uh it starts also with the education and I see how um I had interns that were also female engineers that started learning engineering, um but when I first started out it was definitely more male dominated than anything. No, I can I can see it changing and I can see that there's a lot more conversations happening about it, you know, and more I guess organizations you know, putting forward STEM, women in STEM and, and things like that. So it's great to have, see those conversations happening. I think what I'm also trying to do here with these conversations is start talking a little bit more about female leadership in mm. hospitality as well and trying to create 
more voices and elevate our voices and just to give a platform for different voices um, to be heard and hear our stories as well. Yeah. And I mean, just adding into that as well, um, uh, throughout my journey being a founder, I think when we first started out, like there was also a lot of attention on female founders and female Mm. leadership. And I think that slowly but surely, these conversations have definitely um, have been improving. And, and you know, um, and, and there's a bigger voice for female founders and um, women in tech uh, for, I guess, the past 10 years now. Yeah, having been in London over the last 15 years, I definitely have seen more of those conversations happening as well, especially with female founders, a lot more attention is given there and they do like these competitions and grants and awards and and so on and so forth especially for funding so when it came to fundraising for yourself uh, for your business uh, what was that experience like for you um it was a lot of reiterations in terms of understanding how it actually works um I had no prior experience of fundraising before fundraising for my startup and when it comes to fundraising I literally had to train myself to learn the lingo of what how investors communicate and how they validate businesses. Um, so it's a lot of trial and error and practice makes perfect. So I intentionally um, would be very specific in terms of how I pitch, in terms of um, making sure I'm ready for any questions that investors had. Um, and only with that amount of pitching or, or uh, public pitching uh, got me ready for that experience. And I think that, you know, it paid off. Um, it is no easy experience. And, um, but I also uh, think like everything else, um, you can train yourself to, to learn the skill set. Uh, but yeah. So speaking of learning, so you've obviously, you know, you taught yourself to do the pitching, you know, practice makes perfect. What other learnings do you feel you've had, you know, things that we know about ourselves today, we didn't know, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, What have some of your key learnings been during your professional career? Uh, There are many, (laughs) but uh, for the sake of this discussion, I think that there are probably three that I could highlight and I think would be able to pay forward um so I think the first thing is that you know um I I feel like the startup ecosystem or my startup journey has taught me to start fast fail fast and so the lesson there is that you know there's actually no shame in letting go moving on or giving up there's no shame in that at all um it's actually sometimes a, the greatest strength to be able to actually do that. Um, and I think confronting any type of letting go or moving on is obviously not easy, but sometimes it's for the better and we need to make the mature decision to do it. Um, I think the second thing, of course, in pursuing a career, um, it's Sometimes we can get very uh, obsessed about it and we forget actually the other aspects of our lives, right? And, um, and you know, if we're balancing different balls, um, relationships is actually a glass ball, right? It's actually really fragile. We don't want that to drop, drop instead of other aspects in our lives. 
And so I think that, you know, second lesson is paying attention, of course, to all relationships that are important to you and that, you know, we need to actually take time to pause and connect and that every relationship is also like a two-way street. So um, as much as we also like to receive uh, from our relationships, we also need to give as much more or even more. Um, so family, community, love, connection, like these are actually things that make life a lot more meaningful and purposeful than anything else. And I think that's something that we sometimes uh, in the midst of all the grind, we tend to forget. So that's my second lesson. Um, my third lesson is I think a lot of, I've been very blessed with a lot of opportunities in my life. Um, but, and of course I can't, uh, uh, I can't uh, make that happen. I can't make opportunities happen. But what I can do as a human being is that I think a good lesson has always been to be optimistic and to always look at the glass half full. Um, so I think it's also a lot about trust, right? So trusting in what the world has to give you. I mean, if you're spiritual like me, I trust that you know God is on my side navigating me and it's been a very fundamental part of my journey. Um, but... So in line with that, I think opportunities only come about when we are hopeful and not when we are negative. And so in every opportunity, I think that it was because I was um, very, very hopeful <laughs> and that came my way, um, even if I was selling my own Kuwait. So yeah, so those are three key lessons, I think. Thank you. Those were really great learnings and a lot that resonated with me too, especially the part where it's like, it's not just about the career. I remember the same as it was like, okay, when can I get manager? When can I get director? You know, it was all about the title and, you know, going up that career ladder. But I guess, especially now when I, when I've kind of put career to the side and I'm taking some time off, I'm really learning to appreciate the value of the other things in my life and not let career kind of overtake everything in my life and spending time with the people that I love, uh, the people I enjoy spending time with, traveling, you know, doing all those things that I kind of put on pause for a couple of years. Yes, some of it was because of COVID, but also I think I just didn't prioritize it in a way that I should have, or I, I made career the priority in my life more than other things. So it's really great to hear you say these things and also what you're talking about that being that having that optimistic view I think that's something that I also take from my grandmother she always used to say that you know think about these three things that you're grateful for on a daily mm -hmm. basis and I I also honestly believe if you think good things will happen good things will happen if you think bad things will happen then bad things will happen so it's also very much about what kind of mindset you're having but it's also things that I've had to learn right it's not something that you know, right out the gate that I, I knew immediately and I could just, you know, I had learned all my life. <laughs> you can't just be like, let's turn on that that little button in my mind. No, I, I guess I it's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think it will change, you know, in five years time, 10 years time, you know, I will want different things as well. So and I think the important thing is kind of keeping that open mind and, and that flexibility. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and so I'm going to move on to my final question, and that is, who inspires you? Yeah, so this is a tough one, and I'm not going to cop out, but I don't have one person in mind, but I will share off the top of my head 
what could inspire me, right? So basically, I feel like I get inspiration from people um, every day in all, in, from people from all different walks of life. Um, and I think that that keeps me going in terms of inspiration rather than just like one person. Um, so I think people that inspire me are people that, you know, um, stick through the grind every day that despite hardships continue to stick to it. And I think I've seen a lot of my friends that have, you know, started their own businesses, been through crazy careers that have really stuck through it. And I really respect that. Um, I'm also inspired when people have the motivation and passion to create new innovations and I think that, you know, a lot of these motivations behind starting new businesses and products and innovations all come from the fact that they want to inspire people and to make the world a better place. So I think that's inspiring um, because even me being an entrepreneur, yes, I did see that I wanted to create impact, um, but it wasn't so altruistic. <laughs> Um, and then I think also others that inspire me, uh, lasting on my mind is really, um, so again, spirituality is very important to me. And I think in the tough times, it's really difficult to keep through the strongest faith and believing. And I think that, you know, I really get inspired by people who have the strongest of their faith in the toughest of times. And, um, I think that's even something that I constantly and continuously need to learn from, um, yeah, and that's about it. Well, in other words, you're also saying that you inspire yourself because you're also creating new innovations. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> no, and I think, you know, that's also something that I want to share with these these podcasts is that, you know, as we go and reflect on our own journeys, it is an opportunity to take inspiration from everything that we've gone through, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, that spirituality or that faith, and it's also that having that faith and belief in yourself that you have done all these things and achieved all these things for yourself. And whilst we're inspiring others, we're also inspiring ourselves. Exactly. That's such a good ending. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Melissa. Thanks, Noreen, and nice having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were as inspired as I was by that story. Please follow us here and on LinkedIn where I post videos of the recordings. Stay tuned for many more stories of inspiring women in hospitality.